0: Well, we're going to look at a familiar story here today. We all know that you that you know this one, but we're going to start with, first off with a story called Prints in the Sand. Now, that's a good stint in the name for a story, isn't it? You all know my uh, stories I've told before about the footprints in the sand. So I saw this one. I said, well, this ought to be interesting. And here's how the story goes. I had a wondrous dream one night. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared and I asked the Lord what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat but the Lord they are too big for my feet. My child he said in somber tones for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired and fed up and there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. We're looking at some folks here who uh, they sure wouldn't have left any butt prints in the sand. They were standing up. They're walking, they're doing things. They're climbing and all that sort of stuff. But over here in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look at our favorite three Hebrew children: Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We begin to pick it up over here in verse one. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was sixty cubits and its width six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, and all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyrie, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So here is the false worship that, is set, that has come into the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar has decided, and of course this came after Daniel's vision, that he, uh, the statue of gold, and Nebuchadnezzar decided that since I'm the head, I'm going to be the whole thing. It's, at least it seems that way, and so he made the statue of gold. Now, know this. God does not intentionally to teach us to disobey kings. He teaches us quite the opposite, doesn't He? We're supposed to submit to those who are in rule and authority over us and not to just go around and disobey. But in this particular case, it was okay. Put this in your outline. Disobeying those in authority must be because they go against God, the higher authority. So we are to obey all those that are put in authority even when they do things we don't like as long as it doesn't go against the Word of God. Now, sometimes we like to use the effect that, well, they're not doing good things or godly things or whatever, and use that as a reason to disobey, but that's not scriptural. If you want to disobey kings and authorities and powers and all the sort of things that the Word of God talks about, they must go against or have you do something that is against the Word of God. When they came to Jesus, they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? They're basically asking him, should we disobey the kings and authorities because they're taking our money? They didn't like the fact that they were taking their money, but Jesus didn't deal with that. They were not causing them, at, for in this particular instance, they were not causing them to go against God. And so he just said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. God does not teach us to intentionally disobey kings and those in authority over us. That's not uh, being a, a good Christian. Sometimes people go out there and they, they see different laws that are in the land and they want to disobey those laws. And when the laws in the land go against the things that are of God, then that's fine. You go against it. Now, abortion is a law that goes against God. And, and certainly there's some things we can do about that. But to go out there and blow up abortion c- clinics and, <laughs> and kill people, well, that goes against other parts of the Word of God, and you can't obey one thing and disobey another. So you have to make sure that you're in line with all those, all those things. So in, go- in going against these authorities, we cannot go against the principles of God's Word. Just remember that. Just because the king or the authority or whatever in power is gone against the Word of God doesn't mean that you can go against the word of God in going against them. That makes sense to you. Stay with the word. Now, governing authorities taking us to a place we don't want is not false worship. What these folks were being led into was false worship. Governing authorities taking us to a place that we don't like is not false worship. You know, with the, some of the things that are in the news now with healthcare, a lot of folks in the country don't want healthcare. I heard it's now down to 36% of the people in this country are in favor of the, uh, government taking over healthcare. That, that is not much. So that means the rest of the folks either don't want it or don't care. They're in one of those, uh, areas. But that's not false worship, is it? What these folks were being led into or being forced into was false worship. And that's the, that's the thing we compare it to. Government authorities oppress and abusing those under them is another matter. There are times that governing authorities have come up and they've abused those that are under them. That is another matter. But in this particular instance, we are looking at the false worship and that aspect of it. That's really all that this uh, this one is dealing with. So, and there are times, you know, we've heard of third world countries and, and uh, dictators who have just ruled over those subjects and they start slaughtering people and killing people and, and that is another matter. Uh, it surely is wrong. And... Surely something ought to be done to, to help that. And I think it's good when our country has gotten involved to help some of those countries where those kind of things were going on. I think it's bad too when we didn't get involved and there were times that there were countries that sl- they're slaughtering the people in there, in there and, and we didn't do a whole lot about it. But uh, as we said, that's all another matter. We're looking at this one. He's, the king is leading them into false worship. And so they are going to disobey and go against the authority in that area. So sometimes we have the picture in this story and we don't quite have this in the text. But sometimes, how many of you ever had the picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're more well known? Uh, how many have had the picture of these three in a huge gathering of people and the music plays and everyone else is bowing down and these three are not? That's not exactly how this is told to us. It may have happened at one point. But that's not exactly how it's told to us. We're told that this went on and that this music was played. And so when they would go down the street and play, all the people on the left side, right side of the street would all bow down and worship. Whatever, whatever gathering was there, they would bow down and worship whenever they heard the music. If they didn't hear the music, they didn't have to bow down and worship. But if they heard the music, they had to bow down and they had to worship. And that's what was going on. Let me read to you the scripture again of what it says about this. Uh, verse 8. Therefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They accused the Jews. If the story was such that these three were standing in a group of people and they stood up when everyone else was bowing down, and everybody pointed at them and said, wait a minute, these guys aren't bowing down. How come? And the soldiers came and seized them and then dragged them before the king. And the king said, I'll give you one more chance. If that's the way it really happened, then why do they need to come and accuse? There's no reason to accuse. They were caught red-headed. But that's not what's going on. It says that they were accused. So it seems that this has been going on for a little while. And some of the rulers the satraps and the authorities there had noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were on the side of the street and the parade would go down and the music would play that they didn't bow. And some other situations where they're in the palace taking care of some business and the music was playing and they still sat at their desk and did their business and didn't bow. But they had to bring the accusation before the king. They didn't have pictures. They didn't have eyewitnesses. They didn't bring any of those things. They just made the accusation. And so they don't go into trying to prove the accusation. The king just simply says to them, well, I'll give you a chance now. I'll, play, I'll have the music play, and then you all bow down. And that's where we pick up on the, the story here, where we left left off of it. So it's not necessarily that they're in a big group and they're hauled off into uh, because they they didn't bow down. Uh It probably was going on for a matter of days, maybe a week, maybe a couple of weeks, but it was probably not on the same day that the decree was made that... Uh, they had a big gathering of people to announce it and that these folks stood up. Where verse do we leave off at? Verse 8. Uh, We've we, we got a few of these verses done. Let's go down to verse 10. You, O King, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have said over the affairs of province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we give you their real names there because their real names are given to us in the first chapter and then we're not told about it again afterwards. Which one is the spokesperson out of this thing? We are never told. We're always told about the three of them. Hananiah is always mentioned first. We don't know that he was the lead, lead guy. He may have been. Meshel is always mentioned second. Ahaziah is always mentioned after that. We don't know exactly what if one of them stood up and was the leader. They always come to us as a trio. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve any gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good! But if you do not worship, you shall... Be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? So basically we're doing this. Why waste time in a long, lengthy trial with witnesses and so forth? That's just disregard all that. We have the accusation. We'll bring you guys out here. If you hear the music, bow down. And and we'll say it was all misunderstanding. Then we'll go on. I love uh, this statement here though because it's going to come back later on. And who is the God? Who would deliver you from my hands? Who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? Now, we're in this series. This is only our second week in the series. I'm not going to ask them to turn over there, but I'm just going to read this to you. This is the verse of Scripture that we read last week in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. But we have to hold fast the confession of our hope. Hope Godly hope has a confession. Godly hope is future. Godly hope has its eyes on something that is ahead of us. And there is a confession about that hope. The confession of the hope must line up with the hope. Too often we are having the confession of hope not line up with what we are hoping for. And we brought out that example of keys. I hope I find my keys. Well, I hope you do too. Where would you last have them? Well, I have them right here. But I hope I find my keys. Does that line up? No, because my hope is in future. I have them. So if the the hope is future, then my confession is not anti-faith if it also is future. This is where we need to discern in the Word of God the things that are hoped for, which are future, from those things which we have been given. There's a difference in the Word of God between using, or having faith to use what you were given, and having faith for what you hope for. And too often we're putting them all into the same basket anymore, and we're treating both things with the same kind of confession. And I'm confessing present tense, for those things I hope for future tense and I confessing present tense for those things that I have been given now. We must make the distinction between what we have been given now and is ours to use from those things that God has promised and we yet still hope for. It is not anti-faith to hope for something. So that's why we're spending time on this. So that being said, we can get back over here because now we're going to have the confession of their hope. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have a confession of their hope. And here it comes. They answered and said to the king. Now again, it doesn't say who answered. I imagine one person was doing most of the speaking here or because you can't have all three say it, but they're all in unison. They're all saying the same thing. They're all in agreement with it. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If that is the case our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Is that present tense or future tense? Future, isn't it? It's not present because they haven't been delivered yet, have they? They're not in the fiery furnace yet. So the deliverance is future. It's something that they hope for. And they have no problem saying, our God whom we serve present tense, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, future tense. He's able to do it. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And he what? That's what? Future. That's future tense. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God's nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. So, our obedience to the Word of God is not based on the hope that He will deliver us. But we have this hope that our God is well able to deliver us and that He will deliver us from your fiery furnace. So that is their confession. That is their confession of their hope. They're facing a problem. We can either go into this false worship... And just pretend, say, well, I, I'll bow, but I don't really mean it. <laughs> no, they don't do that. They stand up and they say, no, we're not bowing. We don't, we're not going to get up and repent about it later on. We're not going to pretend like it didn't happen. We will not bow. We will not worship that golden image. You can play it as long, many times as you want to, but we're not going not to bow. Let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. See, their gods are different from the gold image because the gods had always been around. But the golden image is now current. He just made the golden image. But they still had their other gods. And they said, we don't worship them and we don't worship this one now. We worship our God. Now, they have nothing personal against the king. They're not mad at the king. They don't despise the king. They're, they're not doing this because you know what? Nebuchadnezzar, I don't think he's a very good king. I don't like him as a king. I'm just gonna, let's just make him some trouble. They're not doing that. They have served the king and served him faithfully all this time. They're not gonna do this because this goes against what God has said. So, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. We are not going that way. So in the king's presence, they're given a chance to obey, and that's when we have these famous words spoken. And, well, they stuck with what the Word of God had said to them. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that the heat in the in the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, is this personal for the king? Yeah, it's not just a matter of that's, this is what the law says, and we have to do this. Now, he despises these three. He's mad at them because to him, they've challenged him. And he's mad at them. So it goes beyond just enforcing the law now. Now he is specifically mad at them. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never made it personal to the king. But the king is now going to make it personal to them. Heated up seven times hotter, which is really ridiculous because a furnace is generally hot enough to kill people, isn't it? <laughs> you and I we haven't been in a furnace before thank God we think it's bad enough getting burned on the stove and you know stuff like that but uh, being thrown in the fiery furnace heated up seven times hotter which meant they had to take some time and he couldn't just act on it you would think that if he was just angry he'd just take them guys and just throw them right on in but he's going to do a couple of things here first off he's going to heat it up hotter than it had been before so the furnace is extra hot And then he's got another thing. Verse 20, And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. That is not their normal duty. These are people from the army. They're not from the police force. They're not from the security team. These are mighty men of valor. You don't become a mighty man of valor by throwing people into burning, fiery furnaces. Especially when they are bound people people that are tied up, you don't get points of being valor, a man of valor by throwing people tied up into a fiery furnace. These folks had done other things and had done them well. They were phenomenal soldiers on the battlefield. They were some of his best. And so he is so mad, he commands that the fiery furnace be burned up and that these men, these these probably huge guys, that they be called in because just in case... They untie the, the bonds. I want people there that can kill them right there or do something with them and make sure they don't get away. So the men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and the other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now sometimes you may not do that because they might have something in their, in their coats, but the fire was so hot and they just figured the coats would just burn, help them burn even more. And so they just tied them up and threw them all right on in there. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he's trying to kill these three guys and in doing so, he loses some of his best soldiers who are doing something they're not supposed to do. Now, how do you think this sits with the rest of the soldiers who know how good these fighters are and that the king has called them to do something they don't normally do because he was mad? And that they died doing it. And there was no reason to it, but he only died because he heated the furnace up seven times hotter. And so where you normally would stand to throw the people into the burning, fiery furnace and you're okay, you weren't now because it was heated seven times hotter. Now I'll bet you that the men of valor probably got close to that thing. He says, you think it's safe? But you don't walk over top of a burning, fiery furnace that's seven times hotter and get close to it where if you're standing over, it's going to kill you. You get close enough to it. Don't you feel the heat? And don't you say, man, I'm not quite sure that we should be out there. And they may have even come back to the king or someone said, you know what? It's awful hot up there. I think it's going to get us. Get out there and throw them. I want them in now. Something like that could have happened. And it's just going to make people mad at the king because they're going to see how irrational it is. See, when you react by emotion, which is the king is doing, you can become extremely irrational. But when you do like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing, when you react like they do, not because they're mad at the king, not because of any personal uh, vendetta against him, but because this is what our God has said to do. They're just calm. They don't get upset. They're fine. Go ahead, throw us on him. Our God is well able to deliver us. Oh, but it's heated seven times hotter. Oh, man. We had a 400-degree God you know, and and now it's seven times hotter than that. I don't know if we have a God that's you know able to take care of us. We had a 400 degree God, or whatever degrees it was normally. They may that may have tested them a little bit, but not eh, not even face because they're not responding on emotion. When you're going to get into the hope of God and into the confession of that hope, don't be emotional about it. Find out what is the Word of God promise us. Hold to that promise. Hold to that hope. And then when stuff comes along, extra stuff, and tries to play on your emotions, it won't matter because that's not what you're responding to. These three guys had the opportunity to let all these extra things that came in affect their emotions. It could affect them. How many? If you were sitting there and you heard the king say, "Make it seven times hotter," or thinking, "Oh man, seven times hotter." I mean, if you're going to burn up, you're going to burn up. I mean, what's the difference? Right now? But that could have played on your emotions. But it didn't for them. So the men who threw the men died. And these three men, verse 23 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. I don't have a picture of the fiery furnace, but generally, uh, you've got to figure it's more than a six foot tall furnace. Most of the time I get a picture of this, you're picturing you know, 15, 20-foot furnace or something like that. And it's got to be a big one. So you're taken at to the top and you are thrown down and it says they fell down into it. That's a substantial fall, but you're falling into the burning, fiery furnace. So what are you landing on? Coals, hot stuff. You're not just having heat come at you. You are landing on things that are burning. You're landing on things that are hot. You landed right on top of them. You fell down on them. I mean, just the landing. They're not necessarily throwing them in like, all right, you ready? (laughs) They're just chucking them in there. They don't care if they land on their head, land on their side, land on their back. They don't care where they land. They're just throwing them in there and they fall down into it. That's a pretty substantial thing to get through right there, isn't it? But now they got to deal with the burning, fiery furnace. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was astounded. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered the king, True. So that tells you that the guys they got to throw them in died but did not enter into the burning fiery furnace. Only the three Hebrew guys got into the fiery furnace. The other guys died but they still stayed out of it. They had not entered in. They didn't get so hot they just collapsed and fell into the furnace. Otherwise they might have thought one of, the, one of those guys got up with the other three. But they never thought that. Verse 25, look, he, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. In the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So they land in the fiery furnace. I mean, if you land in the fiery furnace and God shows up in there, it's all right. And they're all walking around. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a burning, fiery furnace and the ropes have burned off of me and I'm walking around, even though I'm with God, I'm saying, God, do you mind if we get out of here? And just begin to walk right out. But they don't. They stay in the burning, fiery furnace. I think that is the most astounding thing. You are in a burning, fiery furnace. This thing is seven times hotter. And you get in. You get thrown in. You're not dead yet. You get up. You start walking around. You see the angel of the Lord there. You see Jesus standing there. How you doing? Appreciate the help you gave us out here. We knew you'd come uh, through and deliver us. We even told the king that you'd come through and deliver us. Uh, I'd be, I'd be saying, can we, get, can we leave? Can we go? But they don't. They uh, stay in there walking around. How many of you, just picture, how many of you would walk around in a burning fiery furnace that is seven times hotter than normal? I'm not walking around. But they are. They're just gonna, and they don't even come out until they're called. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar, when near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, now if he's near the mouth, it's got to be hot, right? The guys who are above it, that's where the most of the heat was. They're the ones who died. But if you come near the mouth, you got to feel that it's hot. So he's coming close to it, probably as close as he can get because of the heat that's coming at him. And he feels, oh man, this is hot. It's hot. And there they are walking in. I can't get that close. It is hot. So he's about as close as he can get. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. They didn't come from the midst of the fire till the king said so. And of course, the fourth guy didn't come out with them. Only the three. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Oh, isn't that good? On whose bodies the fire had no power. So often, folks, we are afraid of things that have no power over us. But we have become afraid of it. And sometimes that works its way into our confession. Oh, the economy. Oh, this person over here. Oh, this person on my job. Oh, this person in my neighborhood. Oh, this relative of mine. Oh, this bully over here. Oh, Satan. Oh, I just know he's kind of, he's got plans against me. So many times, we become fearful of things that have no power over us. And when they went into the fiery furnace, they were not afraid of the fire. And we're told when they came out that the fire had no power over them. Boy, oh, that's good. Good wording there. So the the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and all the king's counselors, they were all gathered together. They all saw this. It wasn't just the king saw it. All of the satraps, all the governors, all the administrators are all around there, and they see these three guys get cast into the furnace and walk out. Now understand, these people had seen folks die by the furnace before. It seemed like every every, uh, nation, every empire has different ways of killing people. You know, you would think that as an empire, you would have other things to identify yourself with, but each of them have different ways. What was Rome's ma- famous way? Crucifixion. Because they were more bloodthirsty than a lot of them. That was, that was their famous way. The uh, Babylonians apparently had the fiery furnace. Other folks, you know, in the mid- Middle Ages, it was the guillotine. And you can go to other, other empires. All of them seem to have different ways. Our, our famous way of doing it, of course, electrician and the uh, in- injection. That's, what, uh, that's how we... But they all seem to come up with, with ways of executing people and they pretty much stick with that. So these governors, these administrators had seen people thrown into the same fiery furnace before. It is set up so that people can stand around and watch people being thrown into the fiery furnace. It's not just done in a back room somewhere. It's done on, as a spectacle so that other people can see it. They become in fear of the king and they don't disobey them anymore. So they're all there and they're all watching and these three, it looks like it's supposed to sink them. It looks like it's supposed to kill them, but it doesn't and they come walking out. What does that do to their status as far as the administrators, the satraps, and the others? Now they may not like them a whole lot, but you've got to understand they've got to become a little bit more fearful. I've never seen anybody else's God take them out of there. I saw that fourth guy. Wow. That fourth guy was something. And he, he showed up to help these guys? I'm not making a plan against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego anymore. If you want to make plans against them, you make them. Now, I don't want that fourth guy coming to my house. He's, I don't want him messing with me. That had to cause some fear in them. They'd never seen this before. No one had walked out of the fiery furnace. This is their method of killing people. This is their method of executing. No one had walked out of it before. Front page news the next day. So the satraps, administrators, governors, kings, counselors got together and they saw these men on, on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. I mean, that is just something else. The smell of fire is not even on them. To be in the burning, fiery furnace. How many of you have ever been around a, a burned out house before? When you come out of there, what do you smell like? Smell like fire. If you've been in a house that was burning, you come out smelling like fire. They were in the fire. They were a part of the fire. Their clothes didn't burn. Their hair didn't singe. You all know how easy hair burns. All the only thing that burned was the ropes that were binding them up. The boats, the, the ropes that had their hands bound and their their uh, hand, their hands and their legs all bound up burned off and none of the rest of the clothes. That is something. When you throw the people in bound and they come out walking out, that has got to speak something to some people. Someone was in control of what burned in that fiery furnace. And they had never seen this before. So Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Who delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap. Because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. (laughs) So they were working before. Then they got promoted. What was supposed to kill them got them promoted. So often we're afraid of the things that are coming against us. This is going to kill me. This is going to put me down. This is going to hurt me this way. And God says, man, just trust in me. I'll take what is supposed to put you down and have it put you over. But just trust in them. That's what they have to do. They have to trust in him. So Nebuchadnezzar saw something. He saw a spectacular sight in there. Three guys we threw in. There's a fourth guy. And then he said something. Because of what he saw, he said something. He made this decree about Shadrach. made a decree about their God. Let's go back to this confession again. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Now, here's their confession. They had a hope, didn't they? Our hope was when they first were presented with the opportunity to bow and worship and they knew what the end result was. It wasn't like the end result was sprung on them. They knew, if we do not bow, we will face the fiery furnace. There's not a whole lot of people standing up. There's not a whole lot of people standing against this. So, we're going to be found out. They will know it's us. We will face the fiery furnace. What do we do when we face the fiery furnace? What do we... And they had to be searching these things out. They had to know because they didn't get in front of the king and what what, what should we do? They were bold. They knew what to say. And as soon as they got there, our God is well able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. They knew it was future, because they're not in it yet. But they held to that confession. Our God is well able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. And then they go on with the second part, because the king might come back and attack that. Your God can't do it. Are you so sure that you're going to risk your life? They didn't want to deal with that. They said, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. We're not bowing. Even if he, did, even if we didn't have the hope that he would deliver us, we are not bowing to your image. So now it's really useless for the king to argue with them whether God can deliver them from the fiery furnace or not, simply because they said, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. So it wasn't really a, a doubt thing that they put in there. They're, they're not, we're not debating this. Our confession is not based on the fact that our God can deliver us. It's based on the fact that He's God. And he's our God, and we're not worshiping anything else. So that's what they stood on. But they held to that confession. That is the confession. Our hope has a confession. We have to know what God has promised us. And when he has promised us something that is not ours yet, then we need to have a confession that is future. I will be blessed with this. Abraham didn't have children yet, right? So his hope was still future. Their hope here was still future. So the king declared that God delivered His servants who trusted in Him, that they frustrated the king's word by yielding to God's word. That's basically what the king declares. That God delivered His servants who trusted in Him. They frustrated the king's word. Isn't that neat? They frustrated the king's word. How would you like to frustrate people's words that are made against you? They frustrated the king's word by yielding to God's word. Now notice what they didn't do. The three do do not play on sympathies. Too many times we have a hope of something and we play on sympathies. They don't play on sympathies. They stand on God's word. They didn't go over to the king and they said, Oh, king, look how long we served you. Look at all the things that we've done for you. Don't do this to us. Look, Look how faithful we've been. Look how long we have served you. Look at all the things we have brought to your king. Oh, please don't do this to us. They don't play on the sympathies, do they? They stand on God's word. Too often, we want to stand on God's word, but we're playing the sympathy card first. Oh, feel sorry for me. Oh, it's because of my upbringing. Oh, I had such a rough time. Oh, my mom did this. Oh, my dad did this. Oh, my sister did this. Oh, my brother did this. Oh, my teachers were this way. Oh, the people in my school, they did this to me. And we're playing on sympathies. And that's why I do the things that I do. That's why I am the way that I am. Stand on the Word of God. Stop playing on sympathies with people. Stand up for it. doesn't matter what you went through. doesn't matter what happened to you. Stand up for it. Say, my God has made this promise to me. My God has said He will do this to me. And And make a stand on that. Don't play between the two of them. Don't be in prayer. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And then you get out there, Oh, well, I hope it gets better. I I really think it ought to be better. I think I've done these things. And you're playing on the sympathies. You get sympathy from people. Don't do that. Stand on God's Word. You don't have to ignore what it is that you're going through. They didn't have to ignore that they were being thrown into a fiery furnace. King, we won't even get into your fiery furnace. God's going to stop you from even throwing us. They didn't say that. Our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. That's all, did, <coughs> all they had to do. They don't play on sympathies. And we shouldn't, we have to follow that, their example. We should not be playing sympathy cards. Oh, feel sorry for me. Look at what I've been through. Look at how hard it is. No, don't do that. Don't play the sympathy card. If you want deliverance, you need to do what they did. You need to trust and yield. You need to trust and you need to yield. I need to trust in God and I need to yield to him. I need to trust in God and I need to yield to him. Don't say that you're trusting in God while you're playing the sympathy card. When you play the sympathy card, you're trusting in people because you want people to come through for you. Don't do that. Stand on what the Word of God says. Know what the promises are. Know what the future promises are. Say, Father God, you promised me this. You said you would do this for me. This is the hope I have. And this is the confession I have from it. Again, Hebrews said, don't waver from that confession. Hold to that confession. Let me read it to you again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. When you start playing the sympathy card, you begin to think, well, maybe God won't be faithful here and I need somebody else to come through for me. That's not holding fast to confession that God is faithful. Don't do it. Father God, I trust in You. Father God, I believe in You. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know You're coming through for me on this one. That temptation will come up. You know, just play the sympathy card. Go into your whoever's giving you a hard time, and you tell them. Tell them this. Surely they'll feel bad for you. (laughs) No, don't do it. Don't play the sympathy card. Stand on the Word of God. Father God, this is what you said in your Word. And I believe that you will deliver me. I believe that you have, what you have promised me, you're going to bring about. Oh, and stand on it. Don't let it go. If you want deliverance, you need to trust and you need to yield. So many times Christians get themselves into a fiery furnace situation. And they want God to deliver them. And they quickly, they run over to you know, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. That's what they did. And you delivered them from your fiery furnace. But they haven't walked a life of trusting and yielding yet. They haven't taught themselves how to trust God in the little things. So when the big things come, they're not trusting God. It's easier to trust in people that you see. It's easier to trust in other folks. And you'll never get past these things. You have to get to the place where, Father God, I trust you. I'm not going to lose sleep at night time. I have the hope that you gave me. And your hope says you will bring me through. Your hope says you will deliver me. Your hope says you will set me free. Not going to go that way. If you want the deliverance, you need to trust and you need to yield. If you want the deliverance, you need to trust and you need to yield. Make sure that you trust and make sure that you yield. Don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. Don't get all anxious about it. Trust and yield. When we trust and yield, we can hold to that confession of our hope. Hold to the confession of your hope. Don't waver it. Don't let it go by the wayside. Hold to that confession. Do you all pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust that the things that you have promised us, you will do. Some of the things that you have said in your word are future. Some of these things that you have said in your word are for our future in heaven. Some are for our future life down here. And some are for now. Help us, Father, to discern the difference so that our confession lines up with what your promise is. We thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory. Through all the situations that we face here, little things here and there, We can learn to trust you. We can learn to yield to you. So when the big things come, they don't throw us. When the big fiery furnaces come that are seven times hotter and we're led up with men of valor, we're not shaken because we've learned to trust in you. One day we get to heaven, we may learn the other stories that these three had been through that led them up to this place but we don't know what they are. But in our life, there will be many stories that will lead us up to our fiery furnaces. So when we get there, we will be ready. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory. We will learn to yield to you. Oh, that's our goal. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.